Welcome to Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare, the show that shares stories, experiences, and advice from notable and innovative leaders in healthcare. Let's get started with your host, Leah Witchick. Today, I'm speaking with Mary Smith, Executive Director, Association of Registered Nurses of Manitoba. Mary has extensive experience in healthcare administration, leadership, research, education, policy, and clinical practice with hands-on experience leading groups through complex change and empowering others in the achievement of a shared vision. Previously, Mary was an assistant professor in the Department of Nursing at Brandon University. Prior to this, she held a variety of positions, such as Vice President Programs and Services, Southern Health, Sante Sud, Public Health Practice Leader, Women's Health Program Leader, and Client Services Manager for Healthy Living Programs, RHA Central. Mary's background also includes roles as Intervention Coordinator for the Manitoba Heart Health Program, Public Health Nurse in Remote Northern Communities, and Surgical Intensive Care Nurse in a Large Urban Centre. She has a Master's of Nursing, Advanced Practice Leadership from the University of Victoria, and a Bachelor of Science in Nursing from the University of Western Ontario. Mary is currently the Executive Director of the Association of Registered Nurses of Manitoba. Hi Mary, how are you today? I'm great, Leah. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, and welcome to Central Line Leadership in Healthcare. I am so thrilled to have you here um, because you are such an experienced nurse and you're doing such interesting things in Manitoba and beyond. I think if we could start with just hearing a little bit about your story and your journey. How did you get to this point? Okay. Well, it started when I look back, it's quite amazing to think that I've been nursing for going on to my 42nd year, um, because I certainly do not feel that old. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I look back over my career, I recognize that it certainly has been an amazing journey. And I've always been motivated by how multidimensional and challenging the, the nursing profession is. And I really, I I do feel very lucky and blessed that I did choose nursing as a profession because when I was in high school, that was absolutely one of the professions I wasn't even considering. I was going to be a math teacher. My sister was going to be the nurse. Yeah. And it wasn't until I had experienced um, back issues and ended up needing back surgery and so had an experience with our healthcare system. And it was at that time that it changed my mind. I had a student nurse who was assigned to me that had tremendous impact on me. And I felt that I really wanted to be able to do that and be like that for other people. And it's interesting because my mom was a nurse and I always think that she thinks that her mentoring had led me to that decision, (laughs) Uh, but I didn't have the heart to tell her otherwise. But, you know, I wish I would have had the opportunity to tell that student nurse just how much her care and compassion meant to me and that it did change um, basically the trajectory of my of my life. And that saying is so true that people may forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And I think that is vital for us to remember, like every single time we interact with anyone. So. Um, I had that back surgery when I was in grade 13. So shortly after that, I applied and and, um, was admitted to um, the University of Western Ontario, where I completed my Bachelor of Science in Nursing and graduated in 1978. And I think my decision to pursue rural and northern nursing really stemmed from the roots of being raised on a First Nations community. It was called Christian Island, and it was in Georgian Bay near Penetang Midland, Ontario, if anybody knows that area. And my mom was the nurse and my dad worked for Indian Affairs. So I always knew, and it's funny, as uh, as soon as I knew I wanted to be a nurse, I thought I wanted to do that type of work. Um, Because although I was a child, I was impacted by the work my mom did. The clinic was right in our home. Um, We would interact with the clients and, uh, you know, just really admired the relationships she and my dad um, developed with with the population there. So 
knowing that I wanted to go north, I knew that first I had to really build my confidence and consolidate my skills if I if I truly wanted to go north north. So I uh, ended up moving to Toronto from London and worked on a neurology ward at St. Mike's downtown and then moved to surgical ICU at Sunnybrook. And I really felt that those experiences were so great because it did give me the opportunity to consolidate skills and then specialize a little bit more like in working as anybody who works in critical care knows that you're constantly utilizing those critical thinking skills and um, decision-making and reporting issues and things like that, that I really were foundational for my practice up north. So when I did feel that I, I was, um, I, I don't know if you ever feel ready, but if that, I thought, okay, it's time now to apply to Health Canada and was um, provided with a position up in Ray Edsel, which is north of Yellowknife. So I went up there as a public health nurse and really thoroughly enjoyed that work again developing those relationships with the population um learning about the diverse cultures of our country uh it it was it was amazing and then i thought well i'm only going to stay north probably for a couple of years so i'd like to experience the eastern arctic and um applied for and was successful in getting a nurse in charge position of a nurse of a two two nurse nursing station and when I think back, that I was still within five or six years of being a novice nurse, I, 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 I look back and go, whoa, like, I can't believe they even gave me those jobs. You know, that right. kind of imposter syndrome is like, oh, my goodness. But again, that's the value of or the opportunities afforded to you when when we do go to rural and northern nursing is that there's not as many uh, providers there. So the opportunities if you've got the the knowledge and skill base and the willingness to continue learning and and expand your scope, um, those opportunities are there. So I was very, very fortunate. And so in the uh, West part of the territories where I worked, it was um, exposure to the Dog Rib uh, First Nation communities. And then over in the Eastern Arctic, it was with the Inuit. So really provided a wonderful um, exposure to to those cultures mm-hmm. and very much enjoyed enjoyed that work but instead of back to Ontario as thought um, I ended up getting married and oh. um, we then moved to Yellowknife and we had two children there and I worked um, in the detox center as a supervisor when we were in Yellowknife and again it provided me the opportunity to learn about um, individuals going through substance use issues and the factors in the whole area of the social determinants of health that impact people. Uh, it, it, I just felt like I was building and building on my, on my knowledge base, which was so helpful. So after Yellowknife, um, we then were transferred to Whitehorse. So in Whitehorse, I took on a position with Yukon College. So worked with that program as well as developed curriculum for the um, community health reps which are uh, Indigenous individuals that are trained and then go back to their remote communities because they then are the health contact for right. that community. So it was, it was amazing and have built and still maintain some great relationships uh, with those individuals in the North. Then after, uh, after I'm just trying to look at my little list here of where I went after that, <laughs> was... Um, moved down to Manitoba. And in Manitoba, I took on a position where I got my exposure to research, um, became the intervention coordinator for the Manitoba Heart Health Project. As well, that project allowed me amazing opportunity to learn about the theories of behavior change and systems theory and things like that, because we worked with the communities. And it was really, although as a public health nurse, that is your target population that you're working with as a community, it really was strengthened with with that research component and that um, theory to practice that that was amalgamated when I was working with the Heart Health Project because the focus was on trying to assist people to be empowered to make hard behavior changes 
um, that related to, to heart health, which we know are those behavior changes that are needed for all chronic diseases. Mm-hmm. So it, it was wonderful. Unfortunately, uh, it was a national research project that each province had. Um, but at the end of the funding of the federal money, each province was ideally poised. Hopefully, we had hoped that they would be poised to take on the funding to continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, the research funding um, didn't go on. And I think that's one of our challenges is that we're, is the lack of investment upstream. Mm-hmm. But so after that, I did have the opportunity, though, to take on the position of public health director in a region that I had worked with, um, with the Heart Health Project. So having that leadership role gave me the opportunity to do some shifting of resources, um, seeing some opportunities to actually use the same um, program guidelines and things like that that we used with the Mental Heart Health Project and integrated into a program um, within public health, which is now still going called Healthy Living Together. And it's working with communities using the community development principles whereby they identify their goals that they believe will be helpful to help them achieve positive um, health behaviors and things like that. So you work very much with the community rather than um, for like to them kind of thing. So it was, it was really, really helpful to have that. And then after that director position, there was an opportunity to um, work it, in a leadership position as a vice president within the region, whereby I had a geographic area that included not only the community program, but the acute and long-term care as well. So that really gave me that other piece of the puzzle um, for decision-making that I didn't have in previous positions, maybe at middle management. Whereas at that senior level, you really, so much of the responsibility was looking at the funding pot and making those priority decisions. Um, And it it is really very interesting. um, Having that lens really, really helped in in the future jobs, particularly even in this job. And um, then there was an opportunity uh, to, there were some changes made and it was time for me, I think, you know, with all the change fatigue that was going on because we were having amalgamations I thought you know I'm at the point in my career that that I could retire Mm -hmm. well that only lasted six months (laughs) (laughs) and uh, an opportunity professor role at Brandon University came up and it was like oh my goodness I I I can't pass this up my children were raised um it was and I had to commute to this um job but it, it was ideal. I could do uh-huh. that with, with not having kids at home and things. And um, yeah, so I did that for four years. And then just some changes happened that I wanted to relocate into Winnipeg that um, then this position came open. So it was almost like the doors opened when I needed to have those changes happen. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel very, very lucky. Um, to now be in the executive director role of a, a professional association. You have had such an interesting and unique career path. I'm curious to know a little bit more about your work with Indigenous populations. You mentioned that there was a lot of value for you in that work, in, in learning around diversity and culture. But I'm curious to hear, what do you think are the biggest lessons that you took away from all the time you spent working with Indigenous populations and in those communities? That's a really good question. And it's something that has um, impacted me throughout my whole career, I think. And one of that is the value of listening and learning from. Um, Because I, I made some I made some errors when I first went up, the error of thinking that I knew best, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I'm the educated healthcare provider, you know, if they just do what we've been taught and what and do what we say, everything will be great without having, you know, again, using those community development principles to learn about how, how they buy into it. Like what, 
if it's not important to them, if it's not a goal or a priority for them, people won't engage and, right. and won't see the value of, of working together. So really respecting the, the diversity, you know, coming from different perspectives and from different cultures, mm-hmm. um, taking the time to learn about the culture. And, and many of them, when, when I was up north, were, were practicing, you know, using traditional medicines and things like that. And as this young person going up north from an urban center, it's like, oh my goodness, what is, like, what is this? And then when you see the value that it had for them, how, it, how many of the preparations did work, um, how they believed in them, how they trusted them, and, and how they didn't trust the traditional, or, or like not the traditional, but how they the distrust for the Western medicine. Mm-hmm. It was so interesting to be, to be respectful of that. Um, yeah. And every, in learning that every interaction provides opportunities for learning, not mm-hmm. only from, uh, you know, to them, but that I learn as much from them as, as hopefully they can learn from us as well. So yeah, it, it really, provided a wonderful foundation, I think, for for my nursing career. Um, Also, having the opportunity, and I think a privilege to be allowed into their homes to really see how they live. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'll never forget the first home visit I made when the caribou um, and things were dripping from in in the living room onto, you know, plastic mats, and, and seeing the um, the, the Arctic char, like laid out there, like just brought, like, it, it, you know, all those, I still have those visuals and very, very shocking because I wasn't prepared. And it, and that was one of the lessons learned is like preparation is so helpful and to mm-hmm. have some awareness prior to having though, you know, it's kind of like our nursing process, right? The importance of assessment and doing environmental scans and things like that when we work with community. So yeah, amazing. I, I really feel really lucky that I had those opportunities. I hear those lessons being so prominent in your career uh, up to date. And you talked about some of those lessons working with the Indigenous communities. And and I hear that link to subsequent work you you do. And what struck me was that work um, that you did with communities uh, and in heart health and identifying or letting them identify what are their own priorities, what are their own goals. And, and I think that listening piece is something that uh, often gets underestimated. Um, you know, we often talk about the role of, of listening in nursing and in healthcare. But I think it's something that doesn't necessarily get put into practice every day the way it should. You know, many of us kind of go into situations thinking, okay, well, we're the the educated one. And instead of taking that step back and saying, no, I need to actually sit and be with this person and meet them where they're at and to actually listen to them. So I think that lesson is just so powerful. So. Tell me a little bit about your work that you do now uh, with ARNM. As executive director for uh, a voluntary professional association has been probably one of the most rewarding and challenging positions I've ever worked in. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, especially when professional associations um, nationally are have not necessarily been in existence. They've been amalgamated or part of our colleges, but our colleges are identifying now, even like now in Manitoba through our regulation, our college can strictly be, can only be regulatory. They can Mm -hmm. only exist to protect the public. So we've been challenged as a professional association to develop ourselves as a professional association and to develop what is that value proposition for members how do we find our space in the nursing landscape? Because we do know that we are not the only organization that is representative of nursing. We have our college that provides our life, our certificate, certificate of practice, our union that negotiates 
the contracts and has that employer-employee relationship. Um, and then our educational institutions are also an important organization related to nursing. And then now there's the professional association. So there's going to be overlap um, related to issues that are going to be dealt with, but we all have a unique space. And we're finding that we are constantly being challenged to identify what that space is so that members understand fully and are fully informed as to what they're purchasing because uh-huh. we're voluntary. They have, they, you know, they're having to do that very outward um, activity of, of becoming a member of our association. It's not mandatory. It's not coming off of your paycheck like a union do is. So it's, um, it's been really very interesting. And I became the ED in the second year of operation. So the first year, the interim director, um, Karen Dunlop, who did an amazing job um, developing the, you know, working with the board to develop the the bylaws, getting incorporated, all that business kind of stuff that has to get done. And then um, provide that foundation for the operations that when I started, we basically were tasked with the responsibility of implementing the strategic plan. So that strategic plan has been now revised this year by uh, the current board and looked at the values and things like that. And the focus is very much still on engaging with members so that they truly under um, can see and understand and benefit from membership in an, a professional association. Mm-hmm. The other is to be the professional voice of the nursing profession. So that that's challenging because we're still wanting to illustrate that and demonstrate that. So when we think of advocacy, one of the slides that I have in a presentation is that advocacy happens at multiple levels and that there's sort of low, medium and high um, visual priorities or or things like that. You know, people often think advocacy happens in the media where you're out there doing media interviews and things like that. But Initially, what's so important, again, if I go back to the community development principles, is establishing relationships mm-hmm. and being seen as a credible, um, knowledgeable organization that can be accessed and can be seen as that professional voice. And I really believe that the work that we've done to date has been very successful in establishing that with our key stakeholders, in particular government. Mm-hmm. Um, because we want to demonstrate we're not trying to duplicate the work of the other organization, but there might be, again, common issues that we might be addressing, but we're going to look at it at a different level. We're, we have that higher level vision or perspective or lens that we bring to, to the conversation mm-hmm. about, about that. And to demonstrate, you know, there's value to the profession, there's value to healthcare organizations and definitely value to the nurses to be to be part of. I, I mean, it's so interesting what you said about all of these different organizations are maybe addressing similar issues, but looking at it from that different angle, looking at it from that di- different perspective. And as you said, the professional association is about looking at it from from this high level. So what has been done to really define that space that the ARNM is sitting in? One of the things that we've done is definitely working with our our members. So we've got, um, not only does the board have committees, the finance and governance committee, operations has a membership committee, a professional development committee, an awards committee, because nursing excellence is one of our uh, mandate focuses. Mm-hmm. And as well, um, a membership and advocacy. Mm-hmm. So very important is, as you know, nursing crosses many settings. There's many roles. It's very diverse. And we're a very small operational staff. And we could never fully and would never expect to represent all of the different issues and um, concerns and uh, things that are important to advocate on. So working with our members is very important. So member surveys, 
We do um, bi-monthly e-news to our members. Um, much of it is to keep them informed about professional development activities, uh, resources available to them, advocacy issues, and hopefully as well, the opportunity for them to provide feedback to, for us. Nice. Um, we're quite active on social media. Again, wanting members to be able to see that that we are working on their behalf, that w- that we're out there. Um, we utilize them as subject subject matter experts as much as possible, so that if we are going to a to a meeting or being brought together about an issue, we will reach out to our subject matter experts, particularly our specialty nursing group. We've this year in particular have put a huge focus on wanting to work more in collaboration with our specialty groups. Again, we're the new kid on the block. Many of Mm -hmm. these specialty groups have been around for many, many years. And now all of a sudden there's this professional association and it's kind of like, well, how, how do we, how can we work together? Um, It's it's so important that we do so because our mandates are basically the same. Just that again, at a different level, They're, theirs is more focused on a particular specialty group, often at a point of care. So it's been wonderful, the relationships that we've been building with our specialty groups, particularly because most of those groups are being run totally with volunteers. We have the advantage of having four paid staff, myself, two communications advisors, and like an office manager, admin coordinator. It's not a lot, but at least we have some human resources and financial resources, obviously for membership. So we're trying to say, you know, we can do a lot to promote membership within the specialty groups by having them um, provide us with dates and and, uh, information about their upcoming events. So we put them on our events calendar we can assist them with promoting by even helping develop posters and different things like that, that, you know, having communications uh, expertise within the organization is so important. I really learned that in the work I did with Heart Health Project. We didn't have um, an, a designated communications, but we kind of did it ourselves. And that's not exactly where our expertise is. Right. We were, you know, we never learned about how to develop websites and social marketing and all that kind of stuff. But really, isn't that what health is? Like, or an important component of health is being able to socially market it so that it is seen as, you know, the, the best thing to do and, and stuff like that. So we also want to reduce the administrative burden on the specialty groups by having them use us because I said most of you like they are already our members like Mm -hmm. use the association because the association is its members that's Mm -hmm. what's so important that we always have to to say to people is um without their support we wouldn't be here and we know that it is so important for professional associations to exist to um to promote that advocacy piece, because if we don't do it, nobody else will. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't have our members supporting that so that they see a collective voice of everyone, but it, it's dual benefit, the benefit to the profession, as well as a benefit to, to nurses individually. I hear those community development principles really coming through in what you're saying. As you mentioned, it's all about relationships. You said we are our members. And I think the other piece that really is resonating is that in order to build those relationships, you need to be visible, you need to be vocal, and you need to get out there. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. For sure. That being said, what is the role for professional associations in leadership? And how does the ARNM see their place in advocating and promoting leadership? It's a huge component of a professional association's um, mandate, for sure. Um, Building resources or the access to resources for members is very important, but also to sort of um, show the way of leadership. So I think that we want to promote, as we all do, I think now in nursing, is that every nurse is a leader. 
Um, and because it, it starts with them first. So, uh, you know, constantly mm-hmm. referencing and integrating kind of the leadership principles into the work that we do, I think is really important. And, um, and then hopefully it can be modeled by, by others to, to see the importance of, because we've all been taught, you know, we are really lucky in nursing. We have a very unique um, body of knowledge and skill that other disciplines don't have. And we sometimes forget about integrating that theory into practice. So we all know that when going to those decision-making tables, people want evidence. And nurses are very good about knowing where to find the evidence, integrating the evidence to see the success. But we don't always maybe articulate it as well as uh-huh. we as we could. And I think that that's really important in the work that we do is that we are providing evidence-based resources um, that nurses can access. Working with our universities, um, the graduate students, the work that they're doing. Um, in building our knowledge base and sharing that back with members so that they can see that we're constantly, our body of knowledge is constantly growing and they're filling important gaps in nursing knowledge um, it is, is huge. I, I think being able to, to demonstrate those leadership, you know, about it being inspiring and motivating and mentoring um, are really, really important. If we don't exude the passion that we have for nursing, how can we expect our members to? You know, um, especially now with the year of the International Year of the Nurse and Midwife. Yeah, this is it's almost like this is a gift for professional associations because that's that's you know something we're definitely um, taking advantage of and building um, our programming across the year to showcase this because it's we're we're constantly wanting to instill and inspire nursing pride in the profession and and having this designated year couldn't come at a better time because we need that mm-hmm. um the landscape of nursing right now or of healthcare in general is very challenging you know there's lots of changes that are being made as you know throughout every province um but we have to look at those changes and see them as opportunities rather than drown with them. It's kind of like we have to ride the wave and stay on top of the wave with our innovation and with our solution focused approach, because otherwise we will be drowning. We will drown by the wave. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's not going to help any of us. So um, it, it's, it's an exciting time. I really believe it's a very exciting time for nursing and it's an exciting time for professional associations to figure out what are those relationships, um, even our relationship with our national organization, you know, it, at a, how do we align with the work that they're doing at a federal level so that we can um, enhance that at the provincial level and, and things like that. So there's lots of work that needs to be done because of all the changes that are going on and the wonderful opportunity that CNA um, started last year by opening the membership categories to all regulated nurses. Yes, yes. It's, it's amazing. It's wonderful. And we are actually at our April 8 AGM that is going to happen at the lunch hour during our professional development day, which is going to be focused on um, increasing professional pride and, and hopefully inspiring um, nurses again about why we all chose to become nurses and and remember that Uh, we are going to be introducing to membership the board is doing bylaw changes to open up our practicing category to be for all four designated um, nursing professions we're very very excited Um, i think we're going to be stronger in um we're stronger together than than separated and it will help with that whole interprofessional collaboration, intraprofessional collaboration that we need to do um, at all levels. So we're very, very excited about that work ahead. That's very exciting news, Mary. Your comment that we're stronger together 
then we are separate. Seems to be becoming more and more front of mind, I think, for for nursing and the different disciplines within nursing, as well as in healthcare in general. I want to just jump back to a really intriguing comment you had about nurses are really great in finding the evidence that they need to support a decision or a choice or a direction, but maybe not as skilled at articulating it. And what occurs to me is that that is really linked to that advocacy piece that we were talking about earlier. So what do you think needs to shift so that we as a a profession within healthcare can advocate and articulate our value and our passion? Yeah, it, it is definitely a challenge that we have. And I think one of the things, it has to start with each individual nurse by increasing that pride in nursing, you know, get away from the word just like I am just a nurse, Mm -hmm. but rather I am a nurse. And that's actually our tagline for our professional development day. Nice. Um, Yeah. Because again, recognizing the amazing contributions we as nurses make to, to our healthcare profession cannot go understated. You know, we all hear the stories about, you know, the doctors know that the, well, the nurses will tell them what to do or whatever, but but they're in the background or, you know, when you look at, you just have to look at a television show to see how the public, um, the public images in the media about nursing and things like Mm -hmm. that. So we have, we need to better articulate. And I think, again, the research that many of the graduate students and the PhD students are doing in that area is going to help us a lot as well because there is significant work that's being done in that in figuring out effective advocacy strategies and things like that. One of the things that we've done as a resource is we developed an advocacy toolkit mm. to say everyone can ad- has an opportunity to advocate. Because again, as I mentioned, advocacy happens at many different levels. Yeah. Often point of care nurses are advocating for their patient or their you know, the, or the population that they're serving um, at various opportunities. So there's every level that we have within the system has opportunities for advocacy. Even just the example about how the public um, imagines, or we are the most trusted profession, but we, I don't think we're truly understood mm-hmm. as to our unique body of knowledge and skills. And um, one of the strategies that we're hoping as an association to implement, if we're successful in in getting some funding that I've put a proposal in for, is to work on it on a communications campaign about about the nursing profession, Mm -hmm. to really provide the the real life stories about what nurses do and who we are and where we are and all that. because. You know, if I look back in my nursing career, um, working within a facility, like as a point of care nurse, was just a small part of my my 42 years, whereas most people envision nurses as being in a hospital. Yes. Um, so just, and as soon as people know about nursing researchers and, and public, healthy public policy and different things, oh, I didn't know nurses worked in that you know, mm-hmm. and we need to be, nurses need to be situated at, in those areas where those decisions are being made that impact people's health. Mm-hmm. Even the opportunity that we're hoping to develop within within Winnipeg here, which would be provincial, is to look at an intersectoral forum where we start talking about those social determinants of health. And how each sector's decisions related to whether it be um, income and housing and all that stuff does have that impact on health. Because the health sector often thinks that, well, that, you know, we don't really have any control over what income and security does or different things like that. But we do, we have influence. And that's what leadership is all about, I think, is the opportunity for for positive influence to get a shared vision because not one sector is going to be able to do it by themselves we know that for sure mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. we need to we need to help 
people understand how we can work together. And, and that takes time. It, 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 it takes a lot of time. And again, from work that I, part- I participated in with communities is it doesn't always work quickly or as we want it to. You know, it, it, it really depends. It depends on those relationships and those players that come to the table. Mm-hmm. It's quite the winding path, isn't it? One of the things you mentioned uh, is around influence and leadership. Mary, what's the biggest leadership lesson that you've learned along the way? Wow, I learned a ton. <laughs> it's a big question. <laughs> it's a very, very big question. That's, that's for sure. Um, I, I think I'll go back to what we've been talking about. It the lesson is it's all about relationships. Um, mm-hmm. The importance of taking the time to establish them and nurture them. Um, you know, I, I think I wanted to also the big lesson was learning as much as I could about effective leadership styles and strategies, um, and how did they integrate or align with who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, because that also has to really fit, right? Because um, as I said, it's that how can you effectively influence towards the achievement of a goal that that everybody wants to get on board for, that they're all inspired by? Um, it 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 takes time, and it's really tough because in the work that we do now in in our jobs for any any level, like it's not like there's lots of extra time to have um, those opportunities to have those sit downs and let's just do some talking about this. Like it's so much about doing more with less and um, those outcomes, but we can't, we can't forget the process. I think the process is just as important as the outcome. Mm-hmm, the process. What I'm interested in hearing is, is there a personal story that you can share that maybe illustrates this value of building relationships and the process that needs to go into that? I clearly can remember some examples. And I think it came um, when we had regionalization and some amalgamation of regions. And um, I would have been at a middle management level at that point. And I saw, I, I was able to witness both effective leadership and poor leadership, which was more like just poor management, you know? And I think we learned from those examples, the ones that don't go so well, or or when we when we interact with individuals that aren't using some of those effective principles, we learn just as much from that. And just think, I remember thinking, I'll never do that, you know, with with um a leader who really didn't want to hear from individuals, didn't care about the impact that were going to happen. It was like full steam ahead, very bullying um, approach to it. Mm. Thankfully, there was others, you know, within the organization that balanced that and had a very different approach, which was very helpful. But it it was the, the stressors that that added to the process was really, really significant. And um, I, I think that example really holds a lot of um, memory to me. <laughs> yeah, because not only did um, I think I experienced a fair bit of moral distress at that time as well, and recognized the importance of then figuring out how do I, how do I deal with that? You know, how can you effectively deal with that moral distress when, when my own values and beliefs about the process um, didn't align with somebody I was reporting up to. If I may ask, what did you have to do to work through that moral distress that you were experiencing? Well, I actually, um, and I will often encourage people to access EAP. You know, we're, we're, we're very lucky that as providers, we have very good health benefits. And our employment assistance program is one of that. And I mean, and it isn't just a program that you you go to when you're stressed or need help. You know, there's other positive benefits from it as well. But I thought I I needed to do something um, positive. You know, um, I needed to focus my energy uh, in a way. So I, I found, you know, you can talk to family or can talk to friends, but sometimes when it comes to work things, 
it, you know, you, you, it's important to keep things confidential depending on, on what it is that you're dealing with. And uh, I found EAP extremely helpful. And actually, that was what I still attribute to why I went into graduate work. I need to exert some energy um, in a positive way. And I thought, if I want to then be in a position where I can be a better, uh, an influencer and to be part of the solution and part of that leadership to see positive change happen, I would need to get um, more school. I, I need to learn, you know, have that credential. And that, that's what drove me into graduate work. Um, and it really did help because then my focus was on my studies um, because it was that whole thing that there's some things that if I want to um, continue to work there, because it when you work, most of my career has been rural and northern, there wouldn't have been the opportunity to change to go to a new setting. You know, it was like, this is this is if I want to keep working, this is where I'm going to work. So yeah, it it helped a lot. It was mm. it was very helpful, and you know even in grad school, there's opportunities where you're doing papers and things like that, and that was very almost very cathartic as well because I was able in one of the ethics courses to really research and write about my that experience, and yeah, I found that very valuable. So you were able to take a very difficult situation, one in which your values were being really challenged and compromised, and flipped it to be a positive and direct that energy towards, as you said, being part of the solution. Mary, what would you like to share with our listeners that I haven't already asked you about? I think more or less just to stress I think the value that we have as a nursing profession with our healthcare system, you know, um, and the importance of recognizing like in our technological world, we are becoming very skilled um, practitioners with all of the technology, but we can't forget the art of nursing. Mm. You know, we, that, that is, I think where our niche, niche is with, you know, with, maybe in comparison to the other disciplines, like we have such a privilege to care for people within a facility at a point of care, like 24 hours of the day. Um, You know, people in communities open our home, their homes to nurses that other disciplines wouldn't be able to often get into. And it's again, it's because of the relationships, that therapeutic relationship that we develop with um, the people that we're caring for. Or the or the community itself, we we can't we can't forget that, especially nowadays with the the, the issues that are out there, such as the substance use. Um, you know, I, I think nurses more than ever need to understand harm reduction principles. In that, we have to care for the people where they're at. You know, mm. um, for example, with the opioid crisis, we can't go in with the headset, of, the mindset of like abstinence. It's like how can we help them reduce the harm for for this? You know, because the research is showing that, you know, when you think of like alcohol as a substance, you know what I mean? Like there's, it, it's just how the stigma of many of the issues that are out there get perpetuated by, by stigma. And, um, and nurses really are, have to understand those harm reduction principles apply to anything that we do from working with vulnerable populations to, to any, to anything, you know, caring for that individual, respecting where they're coming from, trying to understand where they're coming from, you know, whether it's a a different culture and things like that, and not going in with the, like, I know best attitude, because Mm -hmm. as soon as you walk in the room with, you know, often people can even see it in body language. If you come mm-hmm. into the room, you know, you don't have that, that warm smile on your face that, you know, the eye contact that I really, I really care about what you're going to tell me, you know, um, is, is just so important. I feel really lucky as well that I had an opportunity to work at, as a nursing professor at the university, because for that time, I really felt that you, you got the opportunity to work with these students that were just you know, 
hungry for the knowledge and and to be able to talk about what the ideal of our nursing profession is because when you get out into practice sometimes the environments that we're working in don't don't facilitate that very well <laughs> it can be tough it can be it is very tough so it was really wonderful to to um be able to learn more about and to share and promote that that art of nursing that to me is foundational um, you need that with the science of nursing just as much as the science needs the art. So it's a beautiful balance, isn't it? It is. It is. Mary, what is one final piece of wisdom you would like to share? I think in regards to leadership, I think like great leaders like don't set out to be a leader. They really set out to make a difference. And it's never about the role. I think it's always about the goal. So I think it, uh, to me, that really helps um, reinforce the importance that every nurse is a leader because every time we, we, we go to work, and I hope that every nurse goes wanting to go to work rather than feeling that they have to go to work, that, that would be another outcome I would love to see, um, especially with this year of the nurse and midwife. And, and then finally, also like go to those places that that we don't feel always very comfortable because I think that's where the learning really happens. And um, that, that's been important for me because often, you know, you sort of think you get comfortable in an area or, or whatever, but as soon as you make that move to a new role or a new setting, you realize how much you don't know and, and how fun that learning is and how in, um, just so motivating it is to continue to learn because that as a, as nursing, we are in a, in a continual lifelong learning profession, which is amazing. We're so lucky. Mary, your career and your story and your experience and your knowledge is so inspiring. And your passion for nursing really shines through. And I think one of the things that really stood out to me was that comment about respecting the person and meeting them where they're at and caring for them where they're at. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time and your willingness to share your stories. Oh, thank you, Leah. I very much appreciate that. And it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining us today at Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare. Also, if you like what you heard, please head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to get to know you on social media. So check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.